Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The following is a presentation of the College Athletes Network. And he goes, hey, did you guys hear what happened to Dick out last night? And the guys go, no, what happened? He's like, we cut him. He broke Dirk's hand. He's done. He's no longer part of the team. And I'm like, I'm like just shrinking in the corner of the elevator. Like, you got to be kidding me. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 14 of the Gimme Timmy podcast with the best player in college basketball, the man himself, Drew Timmy, and myself, Noah Bono. We're here on iHeartRadio, College Athletes Network. Drew, what's up, Big Sexy? How we living? What's good, man? You know, thankful for you guys for keeping us on the air. We, we really love the podcast. We also would love, you know, if you want to get that extra Cupid arrow, write a, write a review, leave a star, share that thing, you know, anything you want to do to interact with it, we love it. Facts. There's so many people in Gonzaga Nation that like don't even know that this a podcast exists. I've had people reach out and be like, "Oh, I'm a Zag fan from wherever." Like, I just found this podcast. We're, we're 14 episodes in, man. We we got to get this thing 14 out. 14 deep. Um, for Zag fans that don't know about it, you got Drew Timmy on the mic every week. So it's it's must watch TV, even though you can't God watch forbid, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, so dope episode today, episode 14. We got a Gonzaga basketball legend. I, I called him a couple times during the episode the founding father of just like what Gonzaga is because he really was at like the start of all of this. The man himself, Dan Dickow, um, really fun time sitting down with him. Before we dive into that episode um, and that interview with Dan, I, I want to hit on just the St. Mary's game, Drew. Obviously, tough one. Went mm-hmm. to overtime after you guys leading majority of the game. You know, that late second half, uh, Aiden Mahoney of St. Mary's freshman guard was just, uh, I mean, ridiculous and kind of just took the game over. But what, what what do you think from your lens, just for listener's sake, you know, give your perspective, what changed for you guys late in that second half that allowed them to tie it up and then just like how overtime kind of, you know, unwinded? Yeah, I mean, obviously we we played really good defense. We we played we I thought we played really good the first 32 33 minutes and then obviously like he went unconscious Johnson hit a three I mean and uh you know like we played solid defense obviously we could have played a little bit better defense but I mean he hit like he hit the bank shot he was hitting like outside the paint running hooks like he just went unconscious like you just one of those things you kind of just have to tip your hat like you know it happens he had a hell of a game so I mean they won and um just got to look forward to playing them when they come back here. Yeah, it'll be crazy in the kennel. I just thought it was crazy. Like, I was saying to you before we got on the record, like, he was terrible the whole game, and I'm not trying to be a dick, but then just, like, in a five-minute span, this guy turned into Luka Doncic out there. He's scoring, he's <laughs> passing, he's throwing no looks, he's wrapping around the defense, like, he's banking in threes. Like, so, I mean, great game for him. Like, what a good I mean, moment. that's that's what great players do, though. I mean, he, he's a really good player, and you know, if they're cold, they're going to get hot eventually. They're going to make shots, yeah. and that's what he did. So, I mean. Yeah. Well, one bad thing for you guys, too, is just that shitty floor. I, I know Zag Nation was tweeting about it, and I I mean, anybody watching the game could see it. It was pretty bad. Just It looked musty in there, you know, from the TV. <laughs> it just looked musty. Like, bro, you got too many people up in here. 
you got to turn the temperature down and keep the floor right. It didn't look like, I, I don't know, just. Yeah, I don't, I, I wouldn't call that the safest environment to hoop in for either team just because, I mean, bros were slipping. I mean, the floor just felt wet. You could, like, taste the air, like, you know, just, like, it kind of felt like a junior high locker room after <laughs> PE, but it's, like, it's, like, third period, so, like, no one's really showering or nothing. They're just putting on their clothes and, you know, getting some Axe body spray and, like, it just like compounded like a bunch of it, it, I don't know. It was yeah, I hope bro. I painted the picture of how just like I was must buckety it was in there. <laughs> I was thinking locker room, bro. Before you said it, I was like, I hope he goes with like some dirty locker room analogy because on TV it just like I said it looked musty out there. And I mean, I it's a fun place one. to play though. That that place was rocking. Oh, they yeah. always it looked did. like a great environment. It was a, it was but, crazy environment. Yeah, but come on, man. D- Division one school in the WCC. Get your get your court right, bro. Players player safety is most important. Come on, man. It's like a slip and slide out there. I felt like I was like Hawaiian Falls or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, tough loss. You guys got a tough slate coming up. We'll hit on those games again, you know, as the weeks go on um, and the games wrap up. But got San Fran Thursday, BYU Saturday. Two good rematches um, coming up. But more importantly, uh, we had Dan Dickow on, like I mentioned. We just wrapped up with him, and I, you know, Drew. I I thought like, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. Like, I I don't know him. Obviously, you have like, you know, somewhat of a relationship with him, but like, I was just excited to hear like his perspective on the program then versus now, and kind of just what he offered um, within that, and then just like what he added. You know, he was he brought. I love the nerdy basketball stuff, and he was just. He added some of that in there. He had a great Dirk Nowitzki story that was so not expected, dude. I mean, I, <laughs> people hear that, they're going to have the exact same reaction as me and you. It was great. Yeah, no, I mean, it's cool, especially just because I haven't been able to really talk to him about, like, just his career and everything and just seeing his, you know, viewpoint of the program from then when he played to how it is now and just kind of the evolution of things here and then coming back and everything. It He gives a lot of cool things and he even taught me a little history about the program. So it was a great great interview that we had yeah he's he's a gonzaga junkie man like he he played there and obviously he had his nba career but he came pretty much right back with the broadcasting and i'm I'm pretty sure he said he lives out in washington so mm-hmm. um i know he's a west coast guy but yeah he just had a bunch of cool stuff that he was talking about like if you're a gonzaga fan this is definitely a you know and if you've been a gonzaga fan for a long time i mean you, you know no better gonzaga podcast to listen to than something that has two of the best players in program history talking to each other and then my corny ass jumping in every once in a while. Um, <laughs> I got to fit in somehow, man. I got to find, I got to pick my spots. Um, but he, he brought up the Dallas Mavericks like a couple times. You guys talked about the Cowboys and, you know, because he kept bringing up the Mavericks, I, he said he played there for a little bit. Um, and we're so new on this news with the Kyrie thing. And, and you're a Dallas guy. Like, talk to me, man. Like Kyrie to the Mavs. Is that, is that a needle mover? Is that like a, you guys win the West? What do you, what do you think of that? That's a let's fucking go. That's what that is. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> you got a you got a little too much Dallas bias to you, bro. I, I do, but uh, little, little, little. I, I, when I heard about it at first, I was like, mm, they're both so ball dominant. Like, how's this really going to work? You know, but uh, the more I think about it, the more like, Kyrie's played with LeBron. Who hasn't Kyrie played with? That's a just stud. He's a stud himself, you know. Yeah. Like he he always seems to flourish with another star, and I, and it'll only help Luca, especially just with all the double teams and attention he gets. Like double whoever you want, and then Christian Wood obviously is like hell of a player too for him. Like I'm excited. I, I 
I don't know if you're smelling what's in the air. You smell I, that? I, I'm smelling 2011 right now. I don't, I don't know. know, man. I I, I don't. I'm not <sighs> saying I want to be a hater towards it, but I just feel like Kyrie's track record. It doesn't scream like, oh, this is a massive needle mover. The the Mavericks are now the favorite to win the West. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like they got significantly better. Something that I'm curious to hear what you think is, you know. They don't like you mentioned Christian Wood, but like none of those three guys are great defenders. You know, you're going to score the piss out of the ball, but those dudes yeah. don't, they ain't guarding anybody. What, what, what's wrong with Mike D'Antoni, man? <laughs> what, what are you, am, I, am I missing something? Run and gun. Yeah, but dude, look at get, that. Look, that Rockets team's got burnt out. They missed yeah, what, 20, no, I mean, 28 threes in that game seven versus Golden State. There was, there's nothing they could do. Yeah, I mean, I think if the Mavericks were able to get someone like, OG Ananobi or something, yes. like just a really great defender, but also yes. just kind of like an elite three and D guy. Like I think that would be like the. It wouldn't be a needle mover by itself, but with Kyrie, it would For it sure. would be a needle mover. So because losing I'm Finney, excited, man. losing Finney Smith hurts. Like that's a three and D guy mm-hmm. that you just kind of just you know you parted ways with, which hurts. And like Kyrie, you know, you're bringing up oh he has the superstars. He's played with all these superstars. Like he's only been good with LeBron. If we're if we're, if we're really diving into the Kyrie thing has he not like he won the chip with LeBron he was bad with Tatum and Brown he didn't work out with Kevin Durant James Harden he's had some he's had some stuff going on offside the court that maybe has impacted that but I mean he's Kyrie what Irving an, and what an interest you want Kyrie team. Irving on your team because he's Kyrie you do. freaking you do. and 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 the reason that I'm happy we're talking about this is because at least one of us is happy you know my my pitch was like I'm I'm a LeBron stan. People that listen to this podcast have probably heard me say that. I did want you him see, on the Did Lakers. you hear that the Nets owner said we're not trading him to the Lakers? Dude, I yes, like my the pettiness behind that of just like you know, we're just deliberately not doing business with them like Kyrie's preferred destination. I don't I don't like that. Like not going to lie, I don't I didn't really care where he went, but uh that I I know that you love LeBron so much just to piss you off. <laughs> I was kind of happy to hear that. That that brought Man. a smile to my face. I'm just a a Noah hater, so I, that warmed my heart a little bit, just a tiny bit. You know what sucks about this man is that, like, for someone who supports you so much, you find every way to be a hater on me. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. What I would I love do? to pull up the last episode and just hear the stuff coming out of your mouth, and then the people don't hear what goes on before and after this podcast either. I'm supportive, <laughs> but I'm a hard critic. You are. I think that's I'm supportive fair. too, though. Yeah, you're all right. I, I, I just, I, I, that's fine. You can, you can hate on me and my, my love for LeBron and him wanting to get five, six, seven, eight more rings. That would be cool, I, though. I ain't gonna lie, yeah, that'd be super I mean, dope, dude. Like, because I'm a LeBron fan too, bros. I, bros, the goat. Drew, Cl- that's Drew what I'm Tim, saying. Drew Timmy claiming that, stamping that. I'll stamp that. I, Great. I think it's a toss up, but I'd have to give it to LeBron. I always say. Jordan, LeBron, one and two. I really don't care who you have as your one and two. It does not make a difference to me. Like Jordan fans have their wild rationales. LeBron fans also have their wild mm-hmm. rationales. However, if you really broke down the numbers and dissected everything, and then you look at it on a just a pure basketball scale, who is the better basketball player? Take the titles out of it. It's LeBron. I think that that's yeah, but a- nobody wants to argue with numbers like that. Like we just, it's just fun to argue. Like if you know, and if I'm if I'm with you, I'm just gonna say MJ's the goat just to piss you off. Here if I'm goes, with an guys. MJ fan, I'm gonna I'm gonna say LeBron's the goat. I kind of like to stir the pot a little bit, but like I would say like my goat's got to be LBJ, man. Yeah, I like to stir the pot too, which is why I think it's funny 
uh, when Dick Al's on here and you, you say something to him about the Cowboys. Because um, you sounded like every Cowboys fan in the world. And I felt bad for you in that moment. I was slightly embarrassed did for you, you too. Did you hear me, though? I said I know what I am, and I'm not going to change. Yeah, yeah, but I, I was, know what I am. I know what I am. Listen to me. I was slightly embarrassed for you because you, you Cowboy fans, man, you guys are just delusional. It's like, oh, we're going to win the Super Bowl next year. It, it's been 28 years, man. No, and how hey, can you be hey, so confident? Hey, 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 do you know how many? That's why. That's why we're some of the best fans in America. Oh, because no oh. one can get their heart broken year in and year out and still love them as much as we do. Most fans, that's true loyalty. Most fans would jump ship or something, or cult. I don't know. Be fans of like the Charlotte Bobcats or something. Like. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> I stick with them no matter what, and every year I'm going to be their biggest fan. Because oh, I'm a true God. fan, and I and I love that about myself. I'm not gonna lie. I if the Cowboys win a Super Bowl, like everyone might have to take all my social media away and every <laughs> microphone away. Oh, I'm just waiting. It, it could happen in a hundred years. I I'll come back to life. I, something. I had a weird thing about the Cowboys this postseason. I was like, I feel like you know they're playing the Niners. Brock Purdy, third string. Like this could be the year. Like Dak was amazing against Tampa Bay, and all I was I was selfishly thinking like. Well, if they win the t- if they win a Super Bowl, man, this podcast is gonna be jumping. Like it's strictly gonna be a Cowboys podcast. We would do it. No hour, more, no more basketball. No, we would talk about the Cowboys for an hour. We would dissect every movement all the way down to the you know the left guard on how he looked. Just about. Oh yeah. I wouldn't even care. I don't like the Cowboys, but I would have done it. It would have been great for the podcast. But you know what? <laughs> the Cowboys couldn't deliver for you, and they couldn't deliver for however many more million people love them. So you guys should just. Enjoy your summers and, and um, I don't know, maybe pick a new team. I don't know, man. <laughs> I never will. I never will be able to. Unless unless someone I know like really well goes on to another team or my son plays football for the for like No, nah, your son's gonna be a hooper. Else. Whenever you do have a son, your kid's gonna be a hooper. Um Yeah, okay. We went down the rabbit hole. I really we did. Loved, I love that. Wow. That's okay. Let's go to a quick break, man. We got Dan Dickow coming up, Kyrie Irving on the Mavs. Going to be interesting to see how it works out. I'm excited as a basketball fan. I'm disappointed he's not reunited with LeBron, but that's okay. Um, coming up after the break, we got Gonzaga legend Dan Dickow. So stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, let's welcome in Gonzaga legend Dan Dickow himself. It's only a matter of time. We've got a former Gonzaga Bulldog legend on the show. So, Dan, what's up, man? Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate you guys asking me. Uh, Drew, I know you got a million things going and uh, you, you can ask a lot of guys. So for a former Zag like myself to join, I appreciate it. I know we've chatted many times in the past, but uh, this will be the longest conversation I know we've had because usually it's in passing at practice or different <laughs> things. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, but I got to start the show off with, uh, I heard you were talking some uh, shit on Thursday night about my Cowboys, but I wasn't able to hear what you said. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to hear what you had to say. Well, you, you know, I'll be in full disclosure myself as many former Zags, you know, we all follow each other on, on social media and, and we know different guys interests and mm-hmm. who they like <laughs> in different teams and sports. And uh, I know you're a huge Cowboys fan. Me personally, I don't have a dog in the fight in the in the world of football. Uh, I don't watch the NFL. I I don't watch much college football. But I know you're a Cowboys fan, and I know the Cowboys struggled this year. So uh, <laughs> I threw that out there at you. So uh, yeah, 
what, what's your thoughts on the Cowboys this year? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm the biggest Cowboy fan in the world. Everyone's going to know about it. I think we're going to win the Super Bowl every year just to be 8-8, eight and eight, maybe win a playoff game. Uh, I'll be ignorant, but uh, I know what I am at heart. Damn, so, what, did, uh, what did you say during the broadcast about the Cowboys? Uh, I think it was something along the lines towards the second half of the Santa Clara game uh, that I know everyone in Spokane knows that Drew Timmy's a big uh, Cowboys fan, but unfortunately they're not going to make the playoffs and they've had another lackluster performance or something along those lines. <laughs> Man, if I would have heard that mid-game, I might have had to throw a ball at you just <laughs> accidentally or something. <laughs> Uh, crazier things have happened in the kennel before that's for sure (laughs) yeah speaking of the kennel man i want to kind of start us off with just like you left washington after your second year you broke your heel that year and then you actually entered transfer portal went to gonzaga spent three years there i believe the last two you were on the court the first year was a redshirt year but just like kind of skipping ahead through all of that like what what do you think being at Gonzaga was the biggest catalyst that helped you just have so much success there and do you think like had you stayed at Washington or had you transferred somewhere else that the success would have been the same yeah no I mean I get that question all the time and and you know I, I think Drew can attest to this is whether he went to Gonzaga or went he went to one of the other schools that you know were recruiting him heavily you've got as a player you got to have faith and belief in yourself that you're going to reach your ultimate goal of of playing professionally at the NBA level I, I thought that I, I would have a chance to my first two years you know um, you know my freshman year at UW we made the sweet 16 I was essentially one of three point guards I played 12 minutes a game as a freshman on a sweet 16 team which is great um, but then my sophomore year I had broke my foot leading into the sophomore year I broke it again early in that sophomore year, about 10, 11 games in. Um, and, and I saw a shift in, in what I wanted out of my career. Now, I was able to transfer at the time, which was not a normal thing. And things worked out unbelievably well for me. But um, when you looked at, it, when you look in hindsight, do would I have been able to make and accomplish my goals and dreams at Washington? Probably not. But I know for a fact I would have chased them and I would have attacked them as, as much as I could have. Yeah, speaking of your success, just kind of at Gonzaga uh, and just how you're around the program so much now, what would you say is uh, how few he's changed over the past 20 or so years? You know, that, that's a good one because uh, so when I decided – so first off, when I was in high school uh, playing AAU, they were recruiting uh, a couple guys that were on my AAU team. Uh, you probably know the name Richie Fromm. Um, he was on my AAU team. And then the following year, Casey Calvary, who was one of the all-time greats as well, uh, had that tip in to, to get them to that first Elite Eight against Florida. He was on my AAU team. My high school teammate, Zach Gord, um, you know, we were teammates in high school. He was part of that original group. He redshirted that year. Um, so I always knew a lot about the Gonzaga program, even though they weren't necessarily – heavily recruiting me in high school. So I knew a lot about the program. Um, Don Monson, Dan Monson was the head coach at the time. When I decided to transfer, Monson was the head coach. When I decided, when I agreed to come to Gonzaga, he was the head coach. But I knew from all the guys, Richie and Zach and Casey and all the guys, that if something were to happen and Monson were to take off for a better opportunity, Fuey would take over. And, and I knew Coach Fuey a bit from – 
him recruiting those friends of mine. And he, he recruited me to a certain extent when, when I was a high school kid, but um, you know, Gonzaga really wasn't in the picture much because Gonzaga wasn't Gonzaga at the time. Um, and, and I would love to hear your take on that because now when Gonzaga steps into a high school gym, everybody takes notice back then that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. I remember my first time uh, when I think it was B Mike was at one of my games. It was like, Oh shit. Like this is Gonzaga at my game. And like, uh, I knew they, I knew they were coming to watch me play. I was like, "Oh God, I'm a big man. I'm not a, I'm not a traditional big man. I'm kind of a skilled big man." Like, "Oh crap!" Like, I better, not, I better not screw this game up because you know how much first impressions mean. But I just remember kind of being like starstruck, and that was one of the times where I was like, "Dang, I, I'm, I guess I'm pretty good at basketball." If Gonzaga's coming to see me, so like, it is pretty cool, especially nowadays when you do see GU out there and stuff, which I, which I can imagine was totally different when. Uh, you were obviously playing. Well, to to your fact, I mean, you know, in me as a guard, Drew, I hate to I hate to admit this, but Gonzaga has become a big dominant program of sending guys to the NBA and high level Europe. I mean, even a guy like Petrushev a couple of years ago, he was he's borderline NBA. He's a Euroleague kind of guy. You know, we don't there aren't as many guards coming out of the program that hit that high peak level as as bigs. Uh, so they do a terrific job of evaluating and then recruiting uh, and then developing guys like yourself. But, you know, I remember specifically, you know, Coach Greer, who's now at Colorado as an assistant and coach and Coach Few recruiting Zach Gord, um, my high school teammate, who was like the first version and take this the right way. The first version of Drew Timmy with his footwork. You've taken it to the umpteenth level. But he was very similar with his footwork, um, uh, and it, it's it's been pretty cool to watch. Even though I can't wait till we have another high level point guard come out of this program. Even though Suggs and Nemhard have been that the last couple of years. Yeah. Dan, who, how um like just the style of Coach Few from when you had him? Because really, like based on what I've done research wise, I think I was born around the time you got to Gonzaga. Like played there. But that was like the start of like the Gonzaga run. Coach Few got the job. You you guys made the tournament both your your last two years you played. I think you made the Sweet 16 your junior year. So like just the style though that you've seen from Coach Few along the way, like as a player and then now, how much do you think it's changed from your lens? You know, I, I think the biggest thing that has changed is um, the offense. My, my redshirt year and then – even a lot of my junior year, we, we still ran flex offense. So block to, to baseline, cutter screen, down screen, um, and we would go, you know, uh, switch counters. And then we ran a lot of, uh, you know, I guess some people would call it blocker mover action where myself or Blake Step would be the guys that would be constantly trying to come off of screens and create opportunities. Um, now there's a lot of that continuity ball screen, which is, I, I think is tremendous because, you know, if you're a pick and roll guy, you get tons of options. Uh, if you're a big and you can read situations like Drew, you can keep it on the dribble handoff or you can keep it uh, and make it look like it, you're throwing and going and pick and rolls and you can create all, all your own opportunities. Um, so I would have loved to have played in the continuity ball screen stuff, but I think the biggest constant with Coach Few offensively is the high-low actions that Drew and, and Anton have been phenomenal at this year. Um, but also his best players 
the guys that he trusts. And if he, if you know, he trusts you, he gives you a lot of leash. And, and, and I think as a, as a player that is in that position, that only empowers you to go out there and play with even more confidence. Yeah. I remember when I uh, was on that tight, tight leash uh, my freshman year, and then I kind of got it around the uh, WCC tournament when I really, he kind of really trusted me. Uh, When did that happen for you with him? And, is that really when you really took off here when you played here? Yeah, you know, so because I had to transfer when there was no immediate eligibility, my whole redshirt year, I was trying to prove it to Coach View. Like, hey, I'm your guy. Because I knew that the following year coming in was another great guard, Blake Stepp, um, who ended up being my backcourt mate for, for two years before I was done. I knew they were also recruiting a, a McDonald's All-American uh, at the time, Luke Ridenauer, who went to Oregon. And oddly enough, had he come to Gonzaga, we would have had an unbelievable three-man backcourt of myself, Blake Stepp, Luke Ridenauer. Um, but, you, you know, I think that whole redshirt year of going against Matt Santangelo, Richie Fromm, who played in the NBA for three or four years in high-level Europe, going against Matt, Mike Nelson, who was one of the best defenders in program history, um, and having to prove it in practice, you know, showed Coach Few that I was ready. Um, but I think the very first exhibition game um, kind of solidified it for Coach Few, I would think, because years ago you could play exhibition games against these random teams. Now you play against Eastern Oregon, whoever it might be, right? We played against uh, a CBA team at the time, which is essentially a G League team. We played the Yakima Sun Kings. Um, and I think I had 28 points in that exhibition game. And, uh, so right there, I hadn't played a game in like 16 months after I broke my foot practice, uh, you know, for over a year. And then we go out and we play against a pro team. I had 28 and I just kind of like felt a release, like, okay, I am good. All the work I've put in, I'm ready to go. Um, and I don't know if there was a, I don't remember a conversation with coach few, but I'm pretty sure at that point it was like, okay, he's okay. He's all right. We're good to go. <laughs> hey, Dan, who in today's Zags era, this year's team, maybe guards from the last couple of years, who, if any, is beating you in a shootout or who did you think maybe had the best chance of like breaking your record at one point, if anybody? I know you said it's – and I mean, obviously it's a fact what you said, but it's heavy, heavy big man at Gonzaga now. But like obviously some really good guards have ran through there. Is anybody like – a Julian Strother, even Rasir Bolton from this year's team or past years where you're like, that guy could do it. Like, and if you had a shootout, like, are you taking you over anybody? <laughs> so we're talking straight shooting. Yeah. Like you, you hold the record for Zags threes in a season. I feel like, you know, is there anybody that could have broke that record? Yeah. I mean, put it this way, put it this way. Uh, Julian Strother had a great game at Portland, like phenomenal game, 40 points. Right. Uh, he had eight threes. I did that in one half. I had nine threes in one half, 34 <laughs> points in LMU. And Spicy. so the last possession of the first half, and, and you could ask Drew, Alex Hernandez is around the program occasionally. He lives in Spokane. Uh, I hit a three and I just took off running to the, running the locker room at halftime. And I remember sitting in the bench and everybody starts running in, like talking about like, hey, you're on fire, whatever. I, didn't, I took one shot in the second half. I had 34 points in the first half, hit nine threes. Game was under control. I just took – I didn't shoot anymore. Fast forward, like, what, seven months later, I'm a rookie in the NBA with the Atlanta Hawks, 
And Glenn Robinson, big dog, we're, we've got practice at LMU before we play the Lakers or the Clippers. I can't remember. We have shoot around or practice the day before. Big dog looks up in the rafters and he's like, God dang, Dan, you guys played in this high school gym, LMU? I'm like, yeah, we, we, we played here last year. He goes, what'd you, guys, what'd you do to these guys last year? How many did you score? I said, I had 34. He goes, 34? I would have put 50 on these guys. I said, dog, I had 34 in the first half. You go, <laughs> 50. <laughs> hey man, talk your shit. We know we know you were a real you were the real shooter. I, I I you can't say anybody would beat you. Like you gotta say yourself would win. I was just curious. Well, yeah, like, absolutely. I mean yeah. Julian would say the same thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Would say the same thing, but you have to. You yeah, have exactly. to believe in yourself. I just think it's an interesting question because like, you know, you set the record what, twenty twenty something years ago, like it probably won't be broken, like, because, you know, you, you did two full years there. I don't know. Most guards don't stay in long enough, and most guards ain't consistently hitting eight threes and a half and then choosing not to shoot in the second half just because they don't, they don't need to. Like, you could have hit 16 threes. Well, it, it, it'll get broken at some point. I mean, the name of the game is threes and then touches for finishes like what Drew has and foul pressure. So right. it'll get broken at some point. But I, I do wish that I would have shot in a few more threes that game. <laughs> speaking of that how how much better do you or like how how many how many more threes do you think we'd make if you played on like today's zags zags team for example just with how much the game has changed well i mean that that's a tough one because the emphasis i mean with the broadcasting stuff that i do i look at ken palm analytics quite a bit i look at the the, the emphasis on threes now versus back then mm-hmm. um you know there's a whole lot more threes taken now. And, you know, I would imagine I would squeeze off a few more each game. But at the same point, it's it's hindsight's 2020, like, right? I mean, there, there's no point in, in worrying about it. Like, some guys are going to be good in whatever era you're in. You would have dominated in the early 2000s when I played because if you and I were teammates, I would have wanted to put you in a pick and roll, get a switch, drop the ball down to you. Uh, or just, you know, just straight, hey, Drew, go down the block. I'm going to throw it to you and, and see if you can create a double and get me a shot. You know, so, I mean, the best players are always going to get the best shots. Uh, I think one of the things now, just generally with basketball, the game is played quicker. Uh, and so there's more possession. So there's more opportunities with threes. How do you think your game would have translated in today's era of the NBA? Like if you're an NBA player now, do you think you have a longer career? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I... But just because of the dynamic of, like, the spacing and how much the three-point shot is involved, and that was kind of what your point guard mentality was at the time. That was a a strength of my game, without a doubt. You know, I mean, um, you know, every player has to have a strength. That was my strength, shooting the ball. Um, I I think, you know, when you you also think about it – you know, the fact is there's more possessions now, so there's more opportunities. Um, but you also would have had to guard a little bit. I mean, nowadays they would isolate guys even more than they did back then. I remember an example, and Drew's going to love this one because he's a Maverick fan. When I, my, rookie <laughs> year, my rookie year with, the, with the, the Hawks, we played against the Mavericks, right? This was Dirt. This was uh, Steve Nash, Michael Finley, Nick Van Exel. Mm. And, Don Nelson, the head coach, I checked into the game. He isolated Nick Van Exel on me. No, I'm not joking. You probably six straight possessions. Uh, catch it. 
on the on the on the like free throw line extended at the three point line. Nick Van Exel just backed me down until he got what he wanted. I mean, it, it, the game changes, so most good players will adjust um, because they're just good enough. Um, but some aren't able to. I would hope to think that I would have been able to adjust. Yeah, changing the changing the topic just a tad. Uh, I'm curious, what was what was your favorite city to go to? You know, maybe not for basketball, but just for some fun with all the traveling y'all had to do in in college or in the NBA. The NBA. You don't get to have fun in college as much, I'd say, on the road. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the thing is, is uh, when I always got the schedule, I looked at two things. When when I was going to be uh, on the West Coast, because the first couple teams I was with, or the first team I was with was uh, Atlanta. So when I when I would get back to the Portland area to play the Blazers or Seattle, um, you know, and then you look at L.A. L.A. is always a, a great city. And then you would look at, New York because you want to play in the, in the Madison Square Garden. You want to play against the Knicks. So those were the two I always looked at. Um, I wasn't a big nightlife guy, so I never really went out much. Um, but, uh, you know, Miami was always fun because the weather is unbelievable. And I got a great uh, Dirk Nowitzki story as well with with the Dallas Mavericks that, that, that if we get to it, Drew, you would enjoy it because I know you're a, you're a Dallas guy. Well, let, let it rip. Let, Let it, rip. it rip. I love hearing about Dirk. Let it rip. Ah, <laughs> uh, but not before we get to our last break here. Stay with us. You can hear Dan's story about Dirk, his time with Brian Scalabrini, John Stockton, him getting into broadcasting, all coming up right when we come back. Hey, is, is he is he your guy? Was that the guy you looked up to, obviously, in the Dallas area? Oh, yeah, that's like my favorite basketball player ever. That's <laughs> <laughs> my that's my goat right there. Best power forward of all time. Hey, I I don't disagree with you. Dirk's, Dirk's an unbelievable guy. I spent uh, I was with the Mavericks for a short bit before I got traded, and uh, um, my claim to fame is I think Dirk and I combined for forty three points uh, on TNT one night. Uh, he had forty one of them. I had two. <laughs> yeah, that's three. Um, but the night before, uh, the night before the game, uh, there was like six of us that were going to go out to South Beach and grab dinner. It was me, Dirk. Jason Terry, Michael Finley, um, the trainer, the strength coach, just a couple other guys. And, and we had like three or four taxis that were going to leave the hotel and go to the restaurant. So Dirk and I are the last two guys that we're going to get on the uh, in the taxi. And I'm like, Dirk, you want the front or you want the back? It's a van taxi, right? Dirk goes, no, you go to the front. I'll get in the back because there's more leg room. So I, I get in the front seat of the taxi and I just close the door. And all of a sudden I hear Dirk say, Dan, open the door. I'm like, what? Dan, open the door. I'm like, what? Dan, open the door. And so then I finally look back over my right shoulder. I close the door on his hand in the, the pillar of the, the van. So he was climbing into the, the slider opening of the van. He, was, he put his hand on the pillar. I closed the door, slammed his fingers shut. And his hands, and I look back, I see his fingers on the inside of the door and him standing outside of the van and his hands were just <laughs> mangled and <laughs> up. And, and, and so I opened up the door and luckily the trainer was standing right there because he was going to dinner with us. And uh, I sat there in dinner the rest of the night, like worried that my NBA career was over. Like, oh, you had to like, be worried. <laughs> yeah. So the next morning I get on the, on the I get on the, uh, the elevator and Don Nelson obviously knew what happened that previous night. He looks at me and he winks 
And he goes, and he looks at like uh, one of the assistant coaches and, and another player. And he goes, Hey, did you guys hear what happened to Dick out last night? And the guys go, no, what happened? He's like, we cut him. He broke Dirk's hand. He's done. He's no longer part of the team. And I'm like, I'm like just shrinking in the corner oh, of the elevator. Like God. you gotta be kidding me. Wait, you make it sound. You made it sound like Dirk was like calm when he told you to open the door. He was just like, Dan, open the door. He was. He didn't react he that like you just slammed his hand shut. I mean, it's that German toughness. Like he literally oh was God, like, me on my shoulder, like Dan, bro, open up the door. <laughs> Hey, that's a that's a crazy story. <laughs> oh my Damn. god! Yeah, you might. I would have been shitting bricks too that I was going to get cut. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do, speaking of while we're on your NBA career, um, my last little question I wanted to ask you about your time in the NBA. Do you have a favorite teammate, either on the court, off the court, or both? Yeah, you know, there's probably two guys that um, favorite teammate wise in. in you know, I think uh, one of them would have been in, in New Orleans where I really got a chance to play a lot, and it was P.J. Brown. Um, he was a very underrated, very undervalued player across the league, but he was just a phenomenal player. Like, you talk about you want a screen set at a certain angle, and you talk to him once, boom, it's done that same way every single time. Uh, so he's a great player. He's a great teammate. And the other one would have been – uh, a guy that I'm sure Drew um, would have got along well with because their personality was Brian Scalabrini. And Brian's a Washington guy. And I don't say that, you know, it's personality-wise. Brian was one of the best personality guys I've ever been with. Um, he had like a 10-year career with the Nets and the Celtics. Then then I think he finished with the Boston, uh, with the Bulls. Um, he's a Washington guy. He's doing TV now with the Celtics. Talk about the funniest dude, one of the funniest dudes I've ever been around. Scal was awesome. Yeah, I was I was going to bring that up. I like watching Celtic games on NBC Boston because he's the color guy, and he's just great to listen to. But Yeah, the White Mamba. Yeah, Love like, the White Mamba. <laughs> yeah. So after practice every day, it was Brian, myself, and Gerald Green. We used to always play one-on-one for like an hour every day after practice. And you couldn't find three different guys <laughs> that would go play one on one after practice. Gerald yeah. Green's a Texas guy. You probably remember him, Drew. Mm-hmm. He was an unbelievable athlete. Like six eight, he'd put his head on the rim. Yeah. Right? Is he is he he ever dunked on you in a one on one or no? I mean, he just oh, had. Yeah, of course he did, but but I got the bounce. Him. I yeah. mean, his his bounce was crazy. And then Scal being a, a six ten guy. Um, you know, who just would talk enormous junk, back you down. He gets a buck and he's going to tell you anything. And then myself, a, a six-foot short guy who had to rely on skill and shooting ability. I mean, those three, you know, one-on-one game, those one-on-one games between the three of us were epic. Guys like Paul Pierce, you know, would sit over there and just talk enormous junk to the three of us <laughs> when we were playing after practice. Have you ever thought about opening your gym up to anyone who wants the ones ever, just like he, how he did? You know, have you seen that video that he's done yeah. where he challenged all his trash talkers to uh, come play him? Yeah, that's I've seen that video with Scal, and I've actually asked him about that. And uh, he is so right. Like, Scalabrini is closer to LeBron James than the average fan or critic is to Brian Scalabrini. It's, no he's question. Right. No question. Oh, it's yeah. Not even right. up for debate. Yeah. And so, you know, now that you, you, you make that comment, you know, maybe Drew. After this season, we 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 put something together. It's like a one-on-one showcase of like 
whatever it is. I mean, former Zags, current Zags who, whatever, you know, play one-on-one for charity or whatever against the local Joe Schmo. Cause uh, I don't think people realize just how good you have to be to play at that college level to excel at the college level like you, to be at the next level like a guy like Scalabrini. Maybe, maybe me and you and someone else can get a little hoop fest team going around, and we can, <laughs> we can, we can hop in that. Dan, are you still healthy? Are you are you active? Are you still playing at all? I don't play much. I mean, I think the last time I really played five on five was at uh, John Stockton's open gym runs at the warehouse, mm-hmm. um, and I kept having a nagging injury of like a pulled calf, so I just kind of I haven't played in about a year. Um, I, I miss it. I mean, that's one thing that, uh, you know, when you get to a certain point, it's been a part of you for so long and you don't do it, you miss it. Um, but most of my time in the gym now is spent coaching, you know, one of my two boys, my, my oldest son's a, a sophomore at Mount Spokane. They've got a chance to win a state title, um, uh, here in Washington. And then my youngest son is a fourth grader who, you know, we're talking right now, I'm upstairs at the gym. He's downstairs getting his shots up. So, um, yeah, I'm around it, but I don't play too much anymore. But Drew, you, me, and let's pick a third. Let's go win Hoop Fest. I, I might join in on that one. <laughs> we definitely, we definitely would. That'd be fun. So, who would be your third? Would you want to go with a former player or just some random schmo off the streets? Give me Andy Nimhard. Let me be the random schmo. Let me be the. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you we want to win. We don't want to lose. You feel me? We're not going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> um, hey, I don't. I don't want to take us too far off the deep end, but I, and I, this wasn't part of the plan today. But you, you mentioned John Stockton, Dan, and I kind of just want to ask you, like, what you think about just all the things that are kind of going on with him and that vaccine stuff, and him not being like in the arena at all. Just like his, you know, strong opinion on all that. Like, do you have an opinion on the other side at all? Just being, you know, such a hardcore Zag guy. You know, John has set the bar for Gonzaga players as far as the blueprint for work ethic, taking care of your body and getting ready to play, to put yourself in the best light, to be ready to play at your highest level as well as uh, to help your team win. Um, And and John's been amazing at that, uh, setting that blueprint for years. Um, and, And he's been a tremendous role model to me when I was growing up and I looked up to him. He's a tremendous role model now. Um, and, and, and that's kind of where I'll leave it at. I mean, he's, he's, he's a, he's a friend. I I love what he's doing. Uh, I think he's an amazing role model. Yeah, no, he's a great dude. I mean, he's helped me a lot. His son's one of my best friends, like great dude. And, uh, hopefully he can get back to the game soon. Cause it's awesome. Every time he's there, just cause you want to play in front of the best, like Gonzaga player ever, which is pretty cool. And especially with the career he had, but, uh, Changing topics a little bit, Dan, um, after your career, you were a player development coach for the Trailblazers, and then you went into broadcasting. What kind of shifted your shifted your career path from coaching, maybe going deeper into that route and instead choosing broadcasting? Yeah, so, you know, all players, when they're done, I mean, you, you want to stay around the game, or at least most guys. And I, I didn't know if I wanted to coach or if I wanted to be in broadcasting. Uh, you know, I was in the Portland area and the Blazers gave me an opportunity to be a player development coach uh, during, um, you know, the, uh, the lockout season. So because the lockout happened, I couldn't start on the coaching staff. Um, they couldn't hire me. So I started on the broadcasting path. That was the first year um, I, I did the broadcasting with Greg Heister and Richard Fox. And that's why we have a three man booth. We started it then. 
for the regional games and we continue it on now. Um, and, and so that's kind of how that became. Once the lockout ended, I had to honor my commitment to the Blazers and go on the player development staff. Um, and so that's, that's why I coached that year about three quarters of the year through, um, of the way through that season, Nate McMillan got fired. Uh, and then Caleb Canales finished that season and Caleb and myself were the only guys that went through the whole pre-draft process, working guys out, um, and helping the front office during that period and coaching summer league. Uh, so I had a tremendous amount of, of experience, but when the new head coaching regime with Terry Stotts came in, I wasn't, I wasn't kept. And so at that point I moved to Spokane and, and I put my focus on broadcasting, but I, I loved coaching. It was, it was awesome. Um, it, it was something that kept you close to the game. The only problem with coaching is when the game's over, you watch and film. When the broadcast is over, all I'm worried about is, did I screw up in saying a player's name or did I screw up in saying Drew Timmy's Dallas Cowboys are no good? <laughs> I guess since you're, you're speaking of some screw-ups, we got to address the uh... – all-time Zag starting five that you brought up uh, on the broadcast. Uh, if you want to, just for listener's sake, and I, I don't, I wasn't listening to the broadcast, so I didn't hear the exact five you gave. You did come back and tweet some clarification, a little brain fog. But can you just break us break that down for us? Give us the the one you originally stated on the broadcast, and then I guess your updated Zags all-time starting five, which is a hard list to give. I, I mean, yeah, I mean. Drew could probably attest to this. His starting five is probably going to change next week and then again the week after and the week after that. <laughs> and that's kind of the way mine's going to change. You know, uh, the producer of the, of the broadcast the morning of, like, hey, give me your, give me your all-time Mark, five, Mark Few starting five. And so I just rattled off five guys and then, like, three guys to go on the bench, not thinking anything of it. And, you know, I kind of prepared my thoughts or whatnot. And then once – once we once that graphic popped up on screen, I'm like, oh my god, I, I left off Mo. <laughs> How do I leave sitting off? right across from you too? Exactly. <laughs> How do I leave off Adam Morrison, the Player of the Year? He's a friend of mine. You know, obviously he's around the program all the time. He's an unbelievable player. He's a good guy. How, how do I leave him off? Um, you know, but I do think. I, I think each of the guys that I picked have credibility. Blake Stepp was tremendous. Uh, Corey Kispert showed growth throughout his whole career. He part of a Final Four team. Uh, Chet Holmgren, you know, as good as, as the team was last year, he was a big part of it. Plus, you know, just the whole aura of, of a guy rated that highly came to Gonzaga. That's a big piece to me. You know, Drew, he's about to be the second all-time leading scorer. More than likely, he's going to be all-time leading scorer. I don't think you can leave Drew off that list. And to me, DeMontis, I mean, he does everything that you want a big to do. So um, I, I, you could add Brandon Clark to that list. You could add uh, Killian Tilly to that list, Jalen Suggs to that list, Nemhart. You know, there's so many different directions and angles you can go. Yeah, that's fair. It's such a hard – there's so many options. You can't really be faulted. You aren't going to please everyone, no matter yeah. who you put in there. Hundred <laughs> percent, and that's why, like, literally, like, I, I put the tweet out shortly after. I was like, "Dude, I made a mistake. It was a brain fart." <laughs> but again, like, literally, it's going to change next week. Like, 
Drew, give me give me your top five. I'm gonna put you on the list. Oh, put them oh, on the spot. I was not prepared yeah, for this. Put them on the spot. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> we'll save it for another day. Hey, we'll save. We can save it for another day. I'll go real quick. Yeah, go get your put, give your five. <laughs> I'll put I'll put Morrison. I'll put you. I'll you put. Do to do that now because I'm now. <laughs> nah, you were like the first one like to go to the league and like really like you were like the first one that like you're like on the route Mount Rushmore I think <laughs> so you you go in there I think Corey just at least playing with him and like what he did like you talked about how John Stockton's a blueprint for you Corey was one for me so y'all three then I, I would agree with Chet and then I'm not as familiar with the older Zags but I would even put maybe like Kelly Olenek just because I, I liked his game a lot. Yeah, that was a Even hard one Wilcher. for me. Like when I realized I left Kelly off, I was like, dude, how did I leave him off too? Yeah, I would probably say like Kelly and then maybe even maybe I guess only because Chet was technically here for one year, like he can't really be on, I guess. And then maybe like Sabonis. Mm-hmm. Those would probably be my five that I would I would say. Yeah. Chet was Chet was the probably the hardest one because like you said, he was a one year guy. But that shows you the evolution of the program. You like you you can have some one year guys now where years ago, I mean, you didn't have that problem in Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of wrapping us up though, like with what you're saying, you know, there's there's just so many great Gonzaga players. There's I think Coach Fuse coached over twenty five guys that have touched the NBA at some point. Um and you know, I know we've touched on your perspective on just like how the game has changed, how Coach Few has changed. Uh, but just you as like a founding father of like this Gonzaga culture and this like dynasty that Coach View has started, and you were like right at the forefront start of it. Like what it's been like for you as that former Gonzaga star, just to watch Drew in specific. Obviously, since we're on the Gimme Timmy Pod, like you know, and have the career he's had over the last three and a half years, knowing that you're someone that also had very similar great career. Like what it's been like for you to watch. Like I don't know, maybe you have a favorite game of yours that you called of Drew's. Um, or just a favorite Drew Timmy story that would be interesting for listeners. Yeah, you know, I don't think there's any one particular game. I think the one thing that I've been, uh, you know, most impressed with with Drew is, and I talked a little bit about it when I picked Kispert, like the progression, right? Um, the first time I, I was at a practice and I saw Drew, um, I, was, I was impressed with his footwork. That's one of the first things that probably everybody talks about. Um, but then you've seen, like, the evolution of – Hey, a big guy has great footwork. They seal, they know how to duck in, they know how to get to their drop step. But then early in their freshman year, they go from that when you see them at practice to then being able to use that footwork and the spacing to be able to create more opportunities. And his freshman year, you know, he was playing behind Petrushev, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and you saw his growth from early till late and just getting better and better and better. And then finally that sophomore year, you know, he kind of starts to get some free reign um, where he can duck in and, and he can post in the middle of the lane and he's got more time and space and more leash, like we talked about with Coach Few, to hang in there for a second and call for the ball. And when he gets the ball, he delivers more times than not. And as, as he shows that he can deliver more times than not, he becomes a more focal point of the offense. And, and it evolves from just duck-ins to now pick and rolls, to high lows, to short rolls where you get him the ball, the ball in movement. Um, and then, you know, where he goes into dribble handoff situations and he can keep it when he wants, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just shown a complete uh, skill set from day one where it continues to layer 
things to his game. Now, I know people, people had negatives on my game. Defensively, they had limitations on different things. And, and people are always going to put different limitations on people's games. And I'm sure Drew is aware of limitations that others on the outside have put on his game. But you don't let that impact and change how you can positively impact the game. And he's continued to refine the way that he can impact the game and be a monster on, on those type of things. And that, and so I don't think there's any one particular thing, but there's a, there's a, a growth over his career that I've seen that I've been impressed with. What a, what a nice compliment. You know, we get guests on here that, that gas <laughs> drew up and I got to be the guy that turns around and humbles his ass and just, you know, just so, kinda, so humble him. What is it? No, no, no. I, I was, <laughs> I give him his daily dose of shit before and after the podcast about his free throws and, you know, smoking some easy, easy chippies around the rim, but you guys are all so nice to him. So I'm just, I'm always on the other end. Like, oh, cause I know I called the game on uh, CBS on Thursday. He missed a point blank layup. He got the rebound and then he made the layup and I think he got fouled. So patting your stats like Daryl Dawkins. Patting the stats. Yeah. That's my dad's favorite uh, basketball terminology. Pat your stats. Get that double double as quick as possible. <laughs> then you don't have to worry about the rebounds anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to those nine threes early. I, I guess I had them. I should have had it to it, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dan, this was this was a great time. Glad we were able to get a former Zag on. I think we're going to have to go get Adam Morrison on, though, and have him respond to your little uh, all-time blemish. No, I'm kidding. But... <laughs> it's funny because right after the game, I went over and I said, hey, Mo, your phone's probably blowing up. If it hasn't yet, it will be. So here's the deal. I apologize. <laughs> I screwed up big time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nah, it's hilarious. But I'm I'm glad we were able to get get you on the pod. I know I've said it before, just like you were really a part of the start of the Gonzaga thing. So, you know, and what Coach View's done there. Um, so it's only right that we had you on first. So yeah, man, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Dan. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been a presentation of the College Athletes Network.